So, but this week we're going to talk about kind of a, a shift, a big monumental shift that seems to occur on, usually on Thursday nights. And, and in, in Maine, it happens around 11.59 you know, p.m. and 12 a.m. And that shift is, is where we go from being thankful, right, where we're with our family, we love where we're, where we're at, our family, our friends, we gather together to enjoy each other's company and eat. And we go from being thankful and, and grateful for what we have to needing a cart full, right? Because from 11.59 to 12 a.m., that's when Black Friday starts, right? And we kind of shift our focus from all the things that we're thankful for to now all the things that we need to fill our cart with, right? All those amazing deals. And then things start showing up at your house, you know, weeks leading up to it. This is not even a week's worth of uh, catalogs that showed up in my house. I'm a little ashamed to admit it, but all of these catalogs, and this kind of symbolizes that we've bought stuff, right? You buy something from a company, and then you're on their list, and then you get catalogs and catalogs. And sometimes you get two catalogs, because they know I have more than one kid. I don't know what it is. But then you start looking through them, and I just look, and here's one for tractor supply. I can't remember if I, I bought one thing there maybe in my life, but now I'm on their mailing list. And I'm pretty sure I didn't even give them my address because I don't do that when they say, can we have your address? I don't do it. But I started looking through this and suddenly I found myself having all these needs, right? Like I saw this thing on the front here. This is a like $999 safe. You could fit like six rifles in there. How amazing is that? I don't own a rifle, okay? I don't hunt if you hunt, that's awesome. You probably need one of these, but I don't. But somehow I felt like, man, I could really use a safe. You know, like, think of the things I could store in there, right? But, but I don't even hunt. I have no need for that. But now suddenly I have this desire kind of creeping up inside me. And you get the L.L. Bean catalog, and everyone needs bean boots, right? Because if you don't have bean boots, like, what are you wearing? Because it's wintertime. Everyone needs bean boots. And then you get the American Girl catalog. This one's a little worn, because my daughter's been through this probably 12 times. Because every girl needs an American girl doll. I mean, look, she's an astronaut, right? And so you can buy the girl, but then you have to buy the astronaut costume, and then you have to buy the, you know, the changing room for her, and the wardrobe, and the pizza shop, and everything else that comes with it. And that's expensive, right? And, but we just get fed all of this stuff, and we need more and more and more. And technology happens. You wouldn't believe. This is just what I got in the mail. You should see my email. My phone is just buzzing all day, like eBay, Target, Walmart, Amazon, and they just hound you all days, all, every day. Just, you need all this stuff. You need this. You need that. You see this deal. It's crazy. And so before, like, Christmas season started, I, I didn't really have much needs. I was pretty content with where I was at. I didn't know that I needed a new L.L. Bean coat. I didn't know I needed a big gun closet to put the guns that now I need to get in there. I didn't have all these desires and I didn't have all these needs and, and I was kind of content or at least I thought I was and then I became more discontent right and I realized that my house was dumb it didn't do anything cool I can't say unlock the door and it did I can't do any of those types of things and so I need to upgrade right like my house I was talking to my parents and I was telling them about it and they're like we're not even done building our house yet and you're telling me it's stupid I'm like kind of like it can do all these cool things if you set it up to do that and so, you know, as we kind of progress in, it becomes, you know, everyone's like, oh, tis the season, right? But really, it's kind of tis the season of discontentment, right? That's what, it, that's what it really kind of boils down to be for many of us, is we get stuck in this 
dissatisfaction cycle, you know, with what we have or what we don't have or what we can or can't afford. And it amazes me that while, you know, we can have a smartphone that can do basically anything a computer can do for the most part, we have TVs that are as thin as, you know, a pizza box, and we have, you know, all of this stuff and transportation. I can listen to any, you know, music I want on the go. All this stuff and technology is coming, and yet I still feel the need to upgrade. I still feel the need for more. You know, if, if you know much about me, you know I enjoy uh, a good woodworking session down in the basement. I enjoy, you know, puttering around, as my dad would call it, and turning on the lathe and stuff like that. And I get that from my dad. He's a big woodworker. And so in my dad's shop, kind of the focal point of many, um, you know, woodworkers is their table saw. That's kind of like the center. That's like the big piece. So my dad had this table saw down there. It's a craftsman. It's got a cast iron top. It's a 10-inch. It's, it's, you know, it works great. I'm pretty sure he bought it in like 1982, 83, before I was born. He bought it brand new. It still has the tag underneath from Sears, Sears and Roebuck, right? And so it's just a, it's a great saw. It's a workhorse. It does everything you need it to do. It cuts, right? And so my dad's content with that. He loved it. It was great. And then one day I'm at Martin's doing what all good Martin's shoppers do, looking for a deal. And I come across this whole aisle full of like craftsman stuff. And I see this table saw and it is a work of art. It's beautiful. And I'm like, I need this table saw, okay? Because I had a table saw, but it didn't do what I needed it to do. So I wanted this table saw, right? And so I knew that it was way out of my league, okay? It was like, you know, $600, and it was out of my league, but it was beautiful. So I did the next best thing is I called my dad, because I was like, Dad, you know, if he buys it, I could use it, right, at his house. (laughs) So I call him, like, Dad, you got to check out this table saw. It is, it's beautiful, He's like, Brian, I don't need a table saw. Mine works great. It's been working for 30 plus years. I'm like, I know, Dad, but you got to see this thing. It's beautiful. So he comes over, he checks it out. It's got a granite countertop, right? I don't have granite. It doesn't have a granite countertop. That's granite top. I don't have granite countertops in my house, but this table saw has it, and it's beautiful. And you turn it on, and it sounds like a 747 about to take off. Like it's, You could cut metal with the thing. I don't know. It's super powerful. It's awesome. So my dad's like, all right, I guess I need it. So he buys it, okay? So he brings it home, and then he's, I was like, so dad, what are you going to do with your old table saw? You know, you, you can't get rid of it, and so you can't use it now. Your shop's too small. So I took it. So I got his table saw, and then I sold my table saw to Jim for like 100 bucks and the Back to the Future trilogy on DVD. No joke. And so, but what happened there is that you know, we end up buying all these things that we think we need only because we become aware of them later, right? Like we're bombarded with all this stuff. Like you might also like this, right? Have you ever heard of that? You might also like in your email, you get an ad from Target or something or, or, or try this one when you're on Amazon. Does this sound familiar? Customers who bought this product also bought this one, right? Like you buy this and then they're like, well, you might need this, that, and the other thing. You're like, ah, oh, I guess I need all those too, right? Like they suck you in. And we're usually okay with what we have until we become aware of what we don't have. My dad was totally fine with his table saw until his son brought him an image of what he could have, what he didn't have. And he wasn't aware of what he needed until I showed it to him, right? He became aware, and that's when discontent kind of creeps in. Because awareness fuels discontentment, right? It's it's ignorance is bliss. You know, you don't know what you don't know until you know, and you don't have all these needs until you see them, right? You don't know what you don't need. 
And so it kind of explains why, you know, money and all that stuff that we accumulate, it just, it satisfies you for a minute, right? And then minutes later or weeks or months later, you're kind of feeling like, I, I think I need more. You know, that's why Apple sells a new iPhone every single September. Because, not because the phone's no longer useful, but because they can get you to buy another one. It's the advertising, they, they do such a good job. And if you're in advertising, like I'm not knocking that, that's awesome. You, you do a great job with it. But there's something wrong with too much debt. I think we can all agree with that, right? There's something wrong with when the holidays come around, you start feeling anxious because you know those credit card statements are coming. There's something wrong with not having savings because of the choices that you make. Right? Like Dave Ramsey, he'd be quick to remind us, don't be a slave to the lender. Right? If you've ever heard Dave Ramsey, he's got that Dr. Phil type voice. Don't be a slave to the lender, he would say. But, but we get so discontent with all of these things because they come at us from all angles. But discontentment, okay, it's not all bad though. Right? I think we can agree on that. that not all discontentment's bad. Some really great things come from being discontent. It can lead us to uh, changes in behavior. If you kind of are struggling with something and you finally get sick and tired and, and you're discontent with where you are, it can kind of help you change behaviors. It can uh, help you get out of unhealthy relationships. Maybe enough is enough and you're going to pursue getting out of that. It, it, it helps uh, discontentment's what brought you know, civil rights. It's what gave people the rights that they deserve. It's, it's what drove people to find cures for diseases, to end hunger in areas or poverty. It it's, ends joblessness. It's discontentment in, that drives people to, to push forward, to gain more in society. Discontentment, one would say, is what planted this church. We're very proud of the fact that we strive to make a church for unchurched people. That's kind of our slogan. That's our motto is that we want to create a place where people who don't like going to church would want to go. That's, that was our mission. That's our goal, that we want to create a place where people feel at home, even if they don't believe everything that we believe, but they can come and find out. They can come and see. And discontentment with how church you know, was done before is what drove us to create Journey Church. So discontentment, you know, it, it can do some wonderful things. But it's these people, the people that discontentment just drives them to do great things, to make sacrifices, to, to give of themselves in their talents, in their life, you know, knowing that it's not going to benefit them at all. But it's these people who are somehow free from the discontentment that stems from these catalogs, that stems from this. But that's the secret that we're going to kind of unpack this morning. That's the hope anyways, to try to figure out how can we tame this beast, right? By not just saying, you know, oh, I'm, I'm done being discontent, you know, I'm just going to be content. That's going to cure the, the, the problem. I'm just going to be content with what I have. But that doesn't work, does it? Like you can't just stop being discontent. You've got to replace it with something. And as Paul's going to show us in a moment, that's when we'll really discover life, what life is meant to be. So I, I mentioned Paul. Paul was a great man. He, uh, he was a wealthy man at one point. He had lots of prestige and power. And he wrote majority of the New Testament, and he wrote letters and things to groups of people. He wrote letters to individual people, churches. So we're going to look at 1 Timothy. And this is, these are kind of letters that Paul wrote to this man, Timothy, believe it or not, and uh, where he is kind of uh, mentoring him. He's trying to bring him along, raise him up to be, um, maybe to take Paul's place. And he says this in chapter 6. He says, but godliness, Timothy, but godliness with contentment is great gain. 
but godliness with contentment is great gain. And a lot of times we kind of blow by godliness thinking like, well, who can be like God? We can't do that. Like that's unattainable. So let's, let's just keep going. But, but really godliness is simple. It's, it's being God-like, right? Being like God. And what is God? You know, if you read the scriptures, it says God is love, right? And so if we are to be God-like, then we need to be love to other people. Because godliness is loving others. It's putting others first. It's looking to other people more than yourself. That's the gospel, right? That, Jim mentioned it. That's the gospel. That's, that's God saying, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's, that's the gospel. That's God-likeness. You know, the Old Testament talks a lot about, um, you know, when these priests, they would have to be totally cleansed and, and everything was like to be separated and set apart. And, and that's kind of like godliness to them. And then Jesus comes along and he's like, whoa, you know, like to be godlike, you've got to love the unlovable. Love everyone. Love people. Love, Jim talked about lepers last week. Jesus didn't run from them. He, he engaged them. He said, you know, love those people. Love the unlovable. Godliness with contentment, being content with what you have, saying, I've got what I've got and I'm not going to get upset, right? I think my daughter says that. You get what you get and you don't get upset. It's probably Daniel Tiger or something like that. But, but godliness with being okay with where you're at, that's what gr- that, that is great gain. This, the Greek word for great like, it comes from mega, like mega gain, epic proportions of gain. If you want great gain in life, be content with what you have, and love other people, and you'll be just fine. And, and I know you're probably thinking like, oh, here, here he goes. I'm not going to be able to get any presents for Christmas, you know, because you're probably thinking, you know, Paul, like you don't know that my iPhone doesn't read my face. Like I have to press the button still to open it up and unlock it. My emojis don't talk. Like I can't do all that fancy stuff, Brian. Mine's only an iPhone 8. There's like two more that have come out. But Paul's, Paul's saying, you know, if you want to see great gain in life, this is what you need to do. And he goes on, in Bible college, they said, the, the next verse starts with four. And in, in college, they said, when there's the word four shows up at the beginning of a sentence, you know that now you're going to find out what that's there for, okay? So he goes on, he says this, for we brought nothing into this world. For we brought nothing into the world. And if you're sitting there thinking, that's obvious. Like I was talking to my son last night as we, I, I was tucking him in and telling him how I've been preparing for the message. And I was like, Jude, did you know when you were born, you had nothing. You came in with nothing. He's like, yeah, I was butt naked. And I was like, that's true. You were. You, you had nothing with you but the skin on your body. And he got, a, he got a laugh out of that. But I said, but Jude, you know what? You had nothing, but you were still valuable. You had value. It's not the fact that you brought anything with you that made me and mom love you. It's the fact that you were there. You were born with value. Every person in this room has value, not because of what you drove here, not because of where you go home to, but because you were born, because God created you. And that's what Paul's saying. He's like, don't, don't, don't misunderstand this, that, not, that the fact that you have nothing. It's the fact that you have everything that you need. You had value. So let's start at the beginning, that your value comes from being. You were perfectly content that first year of life, right? Like if you are a, a new parent, you're probably thinking your kid needs everything in the world from you, but, but really all they need is to be fed and changed, right? Like they don't need stuff to be satisfied, right? 
They don't need all of this stuff. But somewhere along the lines, they become aware of all of these things out there. They become aware of the toys that their sister has or their brother has. And that's when they want more and more. And so it goes on and says, For we brought nothing into the world, and we could take nothing out of it. I shared that with, with Jude too. I was like, and you realize like when you go, and it's kind of a morbid thing to talk about as I started down that road. It's one of those like, ooh, why did I start talking about this when he's going to bed? But I was like, you know, someday when you're super old, like, you know, way down the, after I'm long gone, but all this stuff that you have, is, it, it's not going to go with you. Like, you're not going to take it with you. I was like, your Xbox that you wake up every morning to go play, you're not taking it with you. It's, it's, it's just, it's, it's going to stay behind. And I said, like, you know, the, the boat that Daddy searched all summer for to buy and then bought and then barely got in the water because he had to fix it all the time? It's not going anywhere when I die. It's all going to be left behind. You know, the Xbox, those cars, everything you work so hard to get, all this stuff, your stamp collection, if you're into that sort of thing, all of that stuff is going to be left behind. And the question that you need to answer and all of us need to answer is this, is other than stuff, because we've all got stuff. If I said, who has things? You'd all raise your hand. But other than stuff, what will you leave behind? If you've never thought that before, I hope that blows your mind. Because think about that. Other than the things that you go home to and the stuff that you have and accumulate, what will you leave behind? If you died today, if I died today, and everyone gathered here to pay respects, what would they remember about me? What is it that I would leave behind? Was there great gain by me being here? What great gain is there from your life? What are you leaving behind? When, when people gather together and they're, they're kind of cleaning out your belongings, I remember, um, you know, like when my grandparents passed and we're kind of cleaning out their house and, and going through all their belongings and, and, and all that stuff. But hopefully when you go, what are they going to be talking about that you left behind? Not all this stuff. Not all the junk, but what did they learn from you? What did they gain from you? How would that change your life if you started living this way? If every morning you woke up and you said, what am I going to leave behind today? What am I going to leave behind for my family, for my kids? Not financially, not stuff, but what are you going to leave behind? So, so we asked Paul, like, hey, Paul, if you're so into this, like, what did you leave behind? Right? Like, what did you leave behind, Paul? And we could get snarky about that, but, but the, the truth is, Paul left behind, you know, letters and, and scripture that shaped Western culture for the past 2,000 years. Right? He, he left behind theology that would change an empire. He left behind, you know, churches scattered all around the Mediterranean Rim. He did all of this with nothing. Like, he didn't drive to these places. He didn't go buy a new truck and drive all over the place. He walked or rode like a donkey or something. He, he, he didn't have the latest technology. He hand-wrote letters to people, like hand-wrote them. If I have to write my name, my hand gets tired because I'm not texting anymore, you know? Like the, my son's learning cursive, and I'm like, oh, man, I forgot all about cursive, right? And so we, we forget how to do all this stuff. And Paul did all of these things that we could only hope and dream to have a fraction of the input and, and the impact that he did. What will you leave behind? What are you passionate about? Think about that this week. What are you passionate about? What needs more of your focus and attention and energy? So Paul kind of goes on. After he stirs this up, he moves on and he says this. He says, those who want to get rich, those who are chasing stuff, 
those who want more, 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 the people who, who are going to put themselves above other people, those who want to get rich, they're going to fall into temptation and a trap. Okay, these are people that seek after this. Okay, if you work for a living just to, to make money to get by, like that's not what he's exactly talking about here. Okay, so don't be ashamed if you have a job. I hope you do. Um, but he's saying like the people who put themselves first that there's temptation and there's traps waiting for them. And the thing about traps is you don't know what they look like, right? Like if I say, what are the traps that getting rich can can lead to you? You probably don't know because they're traps. They're, they're meant to be sneaky, right? If you knew what they were, you would avoid them. And the Bible wouldn't be talking about them. But it's something, you, you think about this way. How many of you have said, uh, if only I could win the Powerball, it'd be all set, okay? I've said it, probably said it this past week at work. It's the common theme at work these days. You know, when you're like, oh, if I had just won the Powerball, like I'd help you guys out, you know? I'd hook you up with like $100,000, no problem. You know, and you think to yourself, and you see all these articles of people that win the megabucks, and then their life's great, and then it just goes down the tubes. Their relationships are broken, and it ruins their life. And they say, if I had just never gotten all that money, I'd be fine. But we scoff at that, right? We're like, that would never happen to me. I could handle like $6 million. Like, I would be able to handle that. But no one plans on their life falling apart, right? That's why they're traps. When you chase after stuff, these traps, they lay in wake. Because discontentment, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. If it's not controlled and it's not going after the right things, discontentment can be dangerous because it can plunge us into credit card debt. It can plunge us into signing leases on things that we have no business signing leases on. It can drive us into relationships we have no business being in. It can drive us to dry up our savings just so little Jimmy can have the new Madden game, right? It can drive us to all of these terrible places. But Paul's not done. He kind of goes on. He's, he's like, we're just hitting this over and over. He says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is a root. So a root, you know, that's where things grow out of, okay? So if love for money, it's just down in there, and it's all these evil things can grow out of a love of money. And Jim talked last week about gratitude, and he talked about how if you're on the recipient side of ingratitude, that you're well aware of it. Right? If someone's ungrateful for you, you, you see that. That's obvious to you. But if you're the initiator of, being, of ungratefulness or ingratitude, you don't see it. Right? Like you might think you're, you're, you act grateful to your spouse, but, but in reality you're not. You don't see that. It's hard to see that in the mirror. And that's the same with a love for money. You might not know that you have a love for money. So how do you know? You've got to ask yourself, what are you willing to do for it? What are you willing to do to get money? Is it illegal things or is it totally legal things? Like how much of your time are you devoting to get all this stuff? And at what cost? The next one, who are you willing to hurt for it? It goes hand in hand with the next one. Who or what gets prioritized behind it? What gets the priority? Your family or the chase for more stuff? Do your kids get hurt because you spend all your time chasing money? chasing stuff? Have you ever said this, that, you know, I'm just, I'm spending all my time in the office because I just want to make sure that my family's set if I ever pass away. I just want to make sure they're well taken care of. Or have you ever said, I just want to make sure my kid gets everything that I didn't have. But in reality, all the kid wants is you. They want you. No kid, when their parent passes away, think to themselves, 
man, I really wish my dad was still here because I'd be getting a lot more stuff. You know, they think, I just wish I had one more day with my father, one more day with my mother. You've gained all this stuff and you've, you've fought for all this time to gain what? But then Paul says this, he says, but you, but you, but you, man of God, flee from this. Flee from this. There we go. <laughs> I might have skipped something. That's fine. But he says this, but you, man of God, and he's talking to Timothy, but I think he's talking to all of us, that you flee from all of this. Flee from this love of money. Flee from this pursuit for all of this stuff for more and more. Flee from the pursuit of upgrades and men, that mentality of I just need to upgrade. I just need more things. I can't do life without more stuff. I need more technology, more money. And flee from that. And he says this, don't just, don't just flee from it, but change the direction. Pursue something else. Like, like you can't just say, okay, I'm done with stuff. You've got to change your focus. You've got to say, I'm not going to pursue money and things and stuff anymore. I'm going to pursue something else. And Paul suggests, how about you pursue righteousness? How about you pursue good character, right? How about godliness? Pursue loving other people. Put others above yourself. Pursue your faith. Pursue loving people. Endurance. Because this stuff's hard to do. And gentleness. Contentment is found by redirecting our pursuit. You've got to change where you're heading. You can't get somewhere if you're heading somewhere else. You've got to change your direction. Redirect your pursuit. It's not found in just saying, I'm not going to be discontent anymore. It's found in turning towards something else, going in a new direction. But he goes on, and I think this is where he starts to address us. Okay? He goes on and says, command those who are rich, okay? You might not feel rich in this room today. You might not feel like you're considered to be rich, but if you get any of these catalogs in the mail, I'm telling you, you bought something and you probably had some surplus at one point. Here's another thing you can know if you're rich. If you got a box this week from Amazon, Target, Walmart, Old Navy, any of those places, and when it arrived, you couldn't remember what was inside. That shows that you're rich, okay? In the world standards, you've ordered things and you're just like, I can't remember what I ordered this week. But there it is. He's talking to all of us that we are rich in the world standards. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be what? Not to be rich? That's probably what he's saying, right? Because all this talk about money is the root of evil. He's probably going to shame us for having money and all this stuff, but he doesn't. He goes on, he says, you know, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant right? Don't be arrogant about it. If, if you have, then you have. If you don't, then you don't. But don't be arrogant about it or put your hope in wealth. How many of you have, have seen, you know, article after article? I watched a documentary on Netflix about professional athletes, okay, who get million, multi-million dollar deals and they play and they just waste it all away. They, they have a, a career of eight years or whatever it might be. And then at the end of it, they've made, you know, like $250 million. And then the end of their career, they have nothing at all. Half of them file bankruptcy because they come into all of this stuff thinking, oh, I've made it. But they weren't prepared for the traps. They weren't prepared for the temptations that, that follow with that pursuit. So he says, don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. What you have today might not be here tomorrow. 
I think we can all agree on that. But to put their hope in God, put your hope in something that is unchanging, something that is good. Put it your hope in God who richly provides us everything that we need, right? No, everything for our enjoyment. God wants you to be happy. He wants you to be happy. He's okay with you having some stuff, okay? If you have a boat, don't go home and sell it, you know, just because you heard Brian preach this Sunday. Instead, invite me to go fishing with you this summer, okay? But you are allowed to have stuff. It's okay. God is okay with that. But it's the pursuit. When that's, that's your passion is to find more and more stuff. That's what Paul is talking about. That's when we get into danger. Command them, he says. Command them to do good. Because sometimes if you're rich, you get caught up in yourself, don't we? Sometimes you get caught up in your own stuff and you need to be reminded like, hey, like you have the means, go do good. Be rich in good deeds, not just money. Be rich in good deeds. Be generous to others and willing to share. It's funny how the more, when you don't have much, you think if I had a lot, I would give so much. If I just won the Powerball, I would be giving away money left and right. But as that happens, as we gain more and more, right, we get more stuff, which costs more money, which has more bills. So then we have less surplus the more that we gain because we aren't prepared for it because we're, we're so focused on getting more and more and more that the more we get, the more we have to manage and the more we have to handle. But he says, do good. Be good. Be rich in good deeds. Make it a lifestyle. This isn't something that you can just do frivolously. You've got to make a lifestyle of giving a lifestyle of doing, a lifestyle of sharing. Otherwise, you'll be driven towards consuming and hoarding and wasting away. He says, in this way, they'll lay up treasure for themselves and a firm foundation for the coming age. So that, this is the key. This is like the big part of this, okay? This is the best part. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Okay, as we, we did that whole series on, on a fully alive life. There's life, right? Like you're just living life. You're making it through. And then there's the life that's truly life. There's like a whole other level of this life that Paul's talking about. He's like, this is, this is like real life. Life-giving life. The type of life where it's worth celebrating. Where if you pass on, that the place is packed out with people that you've never even met before. Because your life just leaves life in its wake. That as you go and people encounter you, that they leave and they're just like, man, that guy, it's just like, I don't even know who he is, but he just, you know, exudes life. He's just so giving. He's just so generous. He shares whatever he has. He's so loving. It's a life that leaves life in its wake, not stuff. Life becomes truly life when it's given away. If you're a person that writes things down, Write that down. Life becomes truly life when it's given away. That's how we leave something behind other than stuff. That's great gain. Great gain is living a life that's given away. Because the value of life, it's always determined. Okay, It's always determined. You've seen this at funeral after funeral. And this might sound morbid, but the value of life is always determined by how much of it was given away. How much of it was given away? How much of your life have you given away this week? 
The value of our life, it's never determined by how much stuff we've consumed, how much money we've, we've gained, how much stuff is packed in our garage. It's how much life have we given away. Whose cup have you filled this week? But godliness with contentment is great gain. That's great gain. That's moving forward. Contentment or discontentment, it's controlled only by redirecting our awareness, redirecting our focus into something else. Because every funeral that you attend, you hear a story after story of people and the impact that that person had on their lives. You don't see people lining up to say, you know, so-and-so bought me a car this last month and it was great. Or so-and-so had so much stuff. They just had this giant house and I just thought I'd show up to his funeral to tell people that. Like, no one cares about that kind of stuff, Right? You, you, you show up, and, and you know like a great funeral when, and that seems weird, but like when my father-in-law passed, there was a line of people waiting to tell stories about the type of person that he was, about the man that he was, the life that he lived, the way he impacted them, the way that his life impacted their kid's life through him, through those relationships. Because the value of your life the value of mine, it's ultimately going to be determined by the measure of how much of our life is given away. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And this Christmas, this is the challenge, okay? Before we get ready to go, this Christmas season, let's be different, okay? Let's get a little weird this Christmas and let's prioritize other people maybe. Let's reprioritize what we're doing for our families. Maybe let's enjoy what we have and not be deceived by the loads of things that we don't have. So here's the big ask. Would you please, would you consider, maybe, no matter what you have, what you don't have, how much money you think you have or don't have, no much, how much stuff you have or what you believe about Christmas or, or about God or Christianity or any of that, but would you put someone or something ahead of yourself financially this Christmas? Would you put someone or something ahead of yourself financially, whether it be an organization, whether it be a family, something ahead of yourself. That doesn't mean neglect you and your family to the point of, you know, going without, but to put someone first, where you get your paycheck and you say the first kind of skim off the top of this, I want to set this aside for somebody else. Maybe it's a family that's just tugging at your heart. Maybe it's an organization who's just doing great things to change the world. Would you step away from yourself and put them first financially? Better yet, would you get involved with maybe your time? I think many of us, our time is the most valuable commodity that we have. We've got so little time, but will you donate your time? And notice there's not a big slide here that says, Journey Church is looking for volunteers. Or Journey Church could use your money. We don't collect an offering at Journey. We have a box in the back if you feel you know, obliged to give. That's not our point this morning. That's not why we're doing this. Uh, but we want to spread the love of God. We want to show people that we care. And we want you to live a life that is truly a life worth living. And you do that by putting others ahead of yourself. And if you do this, I promise, it'll be the best Christmas you've ever had. I promise if you teach your kids to give towards other people instead of just receiving, it'll be the best Christmas that they ever have. And I promise that you'll enjoy what you have more. But what you have will not have you. Right? So in the end, we're all going to leave everything behind. 
that car you drove up in, it was nice while it lasted, but we're leaving it all behind. But the question is, what are you going to leave behind of value? What's your legacy going to be? When people gather, when people hear your name, what are they going to think? Rich? A giver? A lover? A friend? A solution finder? Someone who was passionate? Someone who valued people? Relationships? What are you going to be known for? And my hope is that you leave behind more than just stuff. That you'll leave behind a legacy. And my hope is between now and then that you'll discover a life that's truly a life worth living. Let's pray. God, these are some hard words this morning. And uh, I pray that people will receive this, God, with a a heavy heart to think about other people. Uh, I know that... Uh, this message in particular, I felt like <clears throat> was completely preached towards myself. And, uh, and I thank you for that, God. I just pray that you'll soften our hearts this Christmas season to think about how we can impact others' lives and not just receive gifts, but to give. Pray that you will make us sacrificial givers to give a little bit more than we think we can to change this community for you, God. We love you. We thank you for each person in this room. Just pray for a safe trip home. We love you in Jesus' name.